Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live at one. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. This episode is called Lewis on Song. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and I'm joined by Matt Turumpets. How's it going there, Matt? Well, it's going fantastically well, and of course, uh, very, very quickly, isn't it? Not a lot of time between the race and the show today. No, we've gone for an hour after the race to accommodate your schedule. Since it's the French Grand Prix, I've got a Cabernet Sauvignon. Are you joining me? Uh, no, I'm I'm drinking a cocktail uh, of my own making called a Fogroni. It's sort of like a Negroni, but not really at all. But I figure that's close enough. It's pink, so France, and why not? And Provence, it was, you know, south of France. So they like the pink wines down there. Yeah, you know, it'll do. That drink doesn't look like anything to me. But Matt, what does look like something is that at least the first half of this race gave F1 a shot in the arm, some much needed excitement, because we weren't that optimistic about Paul Ricard, were we? Uh, no, no. And, and had things, had there not been the, I don't know, remarkable carnage at turns one, two, three, and four at the start, it might not have been nearly as exciting as it wound up being because, uh, two of the major players got very, very demoted and had to work their way back through the field. And excitingly enough, a couple of the minor players got very, very promoted and had to be gotten around. At the sharp end. So it actually, you know, if you think about why they change the regulations and what they're after, pretty much the way this race started out is what they're hoping will happen every time. So they need to regulate in breaks that lock up and smash into your opposition. But Matt, it would be good to get a summary of this race. I don't want to rush it. I don't want like a summary in 30 seconds. And I don't want you to go on. I don't want like a 70 second review. Is there anything you can do? Um, how about 58.273 seconds? Is that good enough? Lights out! Vettel gets Botas! Vettel hits Botas! Grosjean hits Ocon! Leclerc gets Raikkonen! Vettel hits Grosjean! Gasly hits Ocon! Safety car! Gasly out! Ocon out! First stop in P2! Signs P3! Botas pits! Vettel pits! 
Stroll, Soraka, and Alonso pits. Safety car in. Raikkonen gets Leclerc. Alonso spins. Vettel, penalty. Ricardo gets signed. P3. Vettel gets Hulk. Vettel gets Hulkenberg. Bottas gets Van Dorn. Vettel gets Perez. Bottas gets Perez. Vettel gets Leclerc. Vettel gets Magnussen. Vettel gets signs. Are you noticing a trend here? First Stappen pits. Ricciardo pits. Hamilton doesn't pit. Magnussen pits. Grosjean penalty. Oops. Leclerc pits. Hamilton pits. Raikkonen finally pits. Hulkenberg finally, finally pits. Vettel lets Raikkonen by. Bottas pits again. Slow stop. Loses three places. Vettel pits again. Stroll gets in the way of Ricciardo. Uh, Raikkonen gets Ricciardo. P3. Stroll off. Signs loses power. Magnussen gets signs. Bottas gets signs. Virtual safety car. Virtual safety car in. Checkers. We are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the permission of our lovely wives. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. I'm also joined by rival podcaster Callum Springle, the man with an eight-pound microphone. How's it going, Callum, from Norfolk F1 Podcast? Uh, It's going good, thanks, mate. How's it? Very good. And also from another rival podcast, a man that has recently ironed a t-shirt for a social occasion, Terry from For F1's Sake. I ironed one T-shirt once. Don't bring me now as the the guy who irons T-shirts. Once. Once it happened. We'll talk about you guys a bit later on. Both these chaps are joining me at Buckmore Park for our karting event, so it's going to be full-on podcasting wars. You might think I'm crazy to invite rival podcasters on. Don't I risk losing you to these fine content creators? Well, maybe. But you don't want your wife to, to love you just because she's never seen another man's bottom. No. You want her to love you because she's seen all the bottoms and thinks that your bottom is the loveliest. Genuinely think these two podcasts are a great compliment to what we do. Hello to the live stream as well. If you want to join the live chat, come and join us by searching for Missed Apex Podcast on YouTube. Click subscribe and the little bell, and you'll get a notification every time we go live. Matt, let's um, let's get some general impressions of the event, because the rain didn't arrive in the end. I hear that that was due to the fact that the rain was stuck in traffic, along with everybody else. Logistically, not the return to France that the organisers were after. No. And, you know, you would be tempted to give uh, after the first day's practice, you might have been tempted to give a pony to, uh, you know, name your favorite social media commentary person who goes to Formula One races on the regular. But the fact of the matter is it was a disaster. I mean, I I think fake Charlie Whiting said it took him nine and a half hours to go 90 kilometers. And that's I mean, really, you could have walked it. I mean, that's like a walking pace. It was tragic. They were tragically underprepared for what was a thoroughly predictable onslaught of people trying to get to that track. And I'm just, you know, I'm flabbergasted as to how (laughs) as to how that happened. You impressed by the logistics, Terry? Well, I mean, I'm just distracted by the blue lines. I mean, does it really matter how hard it is to get to the track when you've got such lovely blue lines when you're there? Yeah, they should have had some some nice blue line themed runoff areas for the people who were trying to get in. But yeah, certainly n- not good for the reputation of the new organisers when you've got such high profile people like fake Charlie Whiting saying there, you know, that he ended up giving up and not going to the race. And he is such a massive fan of the sport and a cheerleader for the sport. I mean, if you've lost him, Matt, you've, you've really kind of lost your audience. And, and Liberty aren't doing well when it comes to this spectator event today and F1 TV. They risk losing the goodwill of the general supporter. 
Yeah, they do. I don't know how much this is really on them, as this was about the last of Bernie Eccleston's um, signings. Um, so it may be that they dropped the ball logistically in some way, but it seems like it would be much more on the race uh, promoter and the FIA, quite frankly, because they are located, uh, their headquarters are located in Paris, to, to have got with the local authorities and, and sorted out a plan way, way, way ahead of time. I saw complaints about there being no, no marshals in the car parks to help get people out. I mean, I know even when I play a local concert at like a rinky-dink theater, there's police on either end to get people out of the lots as quickly as possible. And here it sounds like they had a much, much, much larger audience. And they were just like, eh, you know, uh, they'll figure it out eventually. Uh, let's go to Callum from NRF1 podcast. Uh, the traffic chaos, pretty reminiscent of the the controversy with the pedestrianisation of Norwich city centre. So you'll be well familiar with this. But going on to the action a little bit, you know, what was your standout for qualifying? Uh, for qualifying, it has to be Charles Leclerc um, to get into Q3 and to get into eighth place ahead of, ahead of both Haas drivers that were, I suppose, going into Q3 looking pretty good to challenge. Uh, challenge Renault. Um, so yeah, I think I think uh, quite frankly he's turning into a bit of a god. <laughs> it's really showing up Marcus Ericsson as well, isn't it? I mean, it is a little bit to be fair, but he was what thirteenth or something like that, um, which is probably roughly where the Salva would rightly be on that kind of circuit. So I think it's the case that Ericsson is doing a decent job, whereas Leclerc is just looking like a star of the future kind of thing. I, w- I wish there was some way, Terry, that we could quantify this. We have to wait so long in Formula One, don't we? Because we can compare Ericsson to Verline and say, well, maybe Ericsson wasn't that far off. Then this kid comes in and is absolutely spanking him and making him look stupid. Like, it would be really nice, wouldn't it? Where- I mean, where do you put Ericsson on the-, on the scale of greatness? Oh, quite down the bottom. He is he's average, isn't he, at best, Ericsson? I mean, he's been going for like... It feels like 20 years he's been driving. He was in, didn't he drive for Caterham or something? That was like in the 90s. Just <laughs> get rid of him. Boring. Don't like him anymore. I think just Leclerc should drive in both Sarabas and would do better. And trumpets. I mean, that is also highlighted by Kimi Raikkonen. Again, when it comes down to Q3, even though he's got the pace, he just can't put it together and bring himself you know, up with the big boys at the front. Well, yeah, and it's getting worse. It's not just that. And... It's not just that he's having issues in Q3, but this time around, his issues in Q3 utterly spoiled Magnuson's lap. And Magnuson was, I don't know, would you use the word exceedingly vocal about exactly what he thought of Kimmy's desperate flailing attempt to actually turn a lap? And it was, it was a mis- I heard it on, on, on the lap. He dry, he's driving around in the straight. And he's like, uh, so I have one more lap? And, and the pit wall is like, no, no, you should have been going fast for this lap now. So what had happened was he backed off, Magnuson had gone past him, and then he repassed him into turn one, but then immediately had a problem and slowed down. <laughs> Magnuson used oh, every, different, um, every different entertaining combination of the F word. And in, in, in telling his story after the uh, qualifying session was uh, complete. Yeah, the phrase from Magnuson that struck me was um, about Kimmy. Maybe if you're that... Con- oh, hang on. We're getting a lot of noise from you, Terry. Sorry, mate. Sorry, oh, to- sorry. Hang on. Let me do some twiddling. <laughs> I was automatically censoring in case you did some potty mouth. Oh, now, now. That's more That's more you guys. Yeah, you guys. <laughs> you, you let yourselves free to say whatever you want. 
Like, do your mothers watch your listen to your podcast? Yes, my mother does listen to my podcast. It's always an awkward conversation afterwards. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, where were we? So, uh, yeah, the comment from Magnuson that struck me most was, if you're that confused, maybe you shouldn't be racing. Uh, that was very harsh. Magnuson, not shy at all. Okay, then. Good. Let's move on. Matt, we tend to start the show off with you telling us where the race was won and lost. But since it was such carnage at the beginning, why don't we, why don't we start by assigning some blame and then you can tell us where the race was won and lost from the safety car restart. How does that sound? Okay, that sounds absolutely positively brilliant. Okay, then. Let's go to this, then. Whose fault is it? All right, well, let's introduce our Whose Fault Is It game to Callum and Terry. Guys, in my marriage, it's never good enough to simply say, oh, well, these things happen, let's move on. We need to establish immediate blame for things before we can solve a problem. Literally, if we had an incident where a fire had been started and we needed to save our lives, we would first have to establish who set that fire off before running out the door. And once we'd established it was my fault, then we could go on. Uh, so we have no racing incidents here. You are the referee, and we have to decide who is to blame. All right, so first off then, what did you make of that turn one incident? Terry, Terry Saunders from For f One Sake Podcast. Vettel locking up under brakes and smashing into Bottas. Whose fault was it? Well... Well, clearly, the obvious answer is it was Bottas's uh, fault because uh, he he was in the wrong place. He should have been way ahead. It, just because he was uh, he was where Vettel crashed into him doesn't mean that's right. He wasn't. He shouldn't have been there. He should have been further ahead, and it's his fault. There you go. So Bang. you're you're blaming Bottas for not being more out of the way. Yeah, I like it, Callum. Where do you put the blame today? Uh, it's got to be with Vettel, surely, because Bottas was just taking the racing line. Um, but Vettel, I think, misjudged it slightly. I mean, I don't think it's a criminal error, um, but he's certainly got it wrong. Uh, locked up, potentially having braked too late, um, and slammed straight into the side of Bottas and ruined both of their races in so doing. So you're saying it's um, it's not a criminal error. And now the kind of defence would be, well, he just he just locked up and he, he happened to go into Bottas. But Matt, I think that there's an argument to go a little bit deeper here. I think this is a sign of what Vettel does under pressure. There was a flash of the Singapore-style incident here, because effectively he got boxed in so well by Bottas and Hamilton. Like Bottas, he knew what he was doing when he was staying on Vettel's right-hand side. He knew Vettel had nowhere to go. Now, Bottas is a bit braver and later on the brakes, and it left a gap. It left a gap for Vettel to go into, and he's gone for it. He's gone for the ultra late braking. He's locked up, and he's and he's ended up hitting Bottas. We've seen this from him before. This is what he does. He's he's he can be rash at the start of races. Uh, yeah, he he can be. In this case, I don't think he was being all that rash. I think the real problem here, and and if you're going to blame anyone, I think there's only one person to really properly blame, and that's of course Lewis Hamilton. Had a merely average start compared to Vettel, who was just thrashing it and frankly if Hamilton had gone faster Vettel was way ahead of Botas the fact that Hamilton was slow meant that Vettel got slowed down and ultimately put him in the position where Botas could get round him on the outside and then he locked up and well you know then yeah. then at that point you know he did sort of kind of drive directly into Botas ruining his race thoroughly which you know you might see that as kind of being his fault I, I can get that point of view but really 
if Hamilton had gone faster, it would have been Hamilton battle Botas through those turns, no problem. See, Hamilton's not a fast starter, though, isn't he? For somebody who's got such a reputation for being a fast driver, a fast overtaker, one of the top races of a generation, when you look at his starts, he doesn't seem to get away all that well, traditionally, consistently, and and he's cautious at the start, which is, you know, the opposite to Vettel. And maybe Vettel could do with with Hamilton's kind of a bit of caution at the beginning. We've been criticising Hamilton for being cautious at the start, but maybe that's what it takes to win championships. Uh, yeah, maybe it does. Although he can be quick when necessary. I do recall him uh, getting off the line pretty rapidly against Rosberg back when he won the championship in Abu Double. So, but Mercedes has never been as quick off the line as Ferrari. And Vettel got just like, uh, again, he got just a perfect start today. And, and it wound up really working against him. If he'd, been, if he'd had a more average start, probably there wouldn't have been any contact into that turn. Yeah, good. So um, go on, go on, Terry. And wasn't Vettel on softer tyres? Did I imagine that? Was he on better tyres at the start? So he had a, he had an easy, you know, his he had grip straight away. He should have known what was happening. Everyone around him should have known what was happening. They should have let Vettel through like the FIA want. Ferrari in the lead. That's what should have happened. <laughs> I'm joking. I think the chat room would like to get in on this. Go for it. Hello, uh, chat room. Michael Howland says, clearly it's Paul Ricard's fault for having too much runoff and not enough track. Now then, we'll we, we'll get onto the track there actually, because one of my key uh, talking points about the track and defences of the track, if you like, is that everyone was going for it because there was runoff. There was less consequences. So, I mean, what would Verstappen have done without that runoff? He ended up just he literally just gave up, went off to the right, and cut a whole corner, and then went. Oh, I had no choice but to gain seven places. Did you hear his comment after the race? He's like, he was joking with Hamilton. He's like, oh, I took that completely other chicane. <laughs> uh, and like he it. did. Like, he really did. There was another chicane. He just took that instead of the uh, instead of the turn he was supposed to. Okay, Callum Springle. Vettel got a five-second penalty for that. Was that enough? Yes. I mean, we've seen time and again since the last few years that these sort of incidents on lap one, turn one, they won't be penalised quite as heavily as they would be at a later point in the race. So it's simply following precedent. And actually, I think that it's nowhere near enough. Five seconds is, you know, that's barely sitting in a pit stop. You know, they, they, they should have had, a, they should time how long it took Bottas to get back to the pits and go, that's your that's your penalty. You've got a two-minute penalty. And I, I was at Le Mans last week, so I got very used to things taking ages. So I think it should be <laughs> a Le Mans-style Two hours in the pit penalty, and then he comes back. He's allowed out when everyone else has finished. Is it just the whole of Le Mans taking a long time, or individual things at Le Mans taking a long time? Everything takes forever at Le Mans. The pit stops, the the fixing things, the queues for the food, the getting to the, everything. It's, it's it's very French. I think I think twenty four hours is too long for a race. Personally, I would have had several smaller races over a number of events. Yeah, it got quite annoying when you're trying to sleep. Trumpets. Well, I don't know. Speaking of, of ways we could have properly punished Vettel, perhaps they should have made him get out of his car and help change uh, Botas' tire. Love it. <laughs> before he was able to go back out. I, I, I get what Callum's saying. That's saying, yeah, it's a first lap incident. It, it's treated a little bit differently. But I, I honestly feel like Vettel's been quite reckless there. He's, he's punted a car who's spun around and then he's got away with it nearly scot-free. Because given that the safety car came out, his lack of aero mat didn't affect him. So he just toddled around and he had a pit stop 
which was his only, well, it could potentially have been his only pit on the race, but it certainly tactically didn't hurt him as much as Bottas, who had to limp home. No, it, it didn't hurt him as much, but it also looked worse because uh, when Bottas came in for that second pit stop, um, they had a problem with the right rear didn't go on. They let him down off the jack and they had to jack him back up and he lost three places. So when Vettel pitted, he came back out in fifth pretty much where he had been or he might have been just behind signs and gotten around him. I, I don't recall off the top of my head. Uh, so it looked like it was pain free, a pain free five second penalty for Vettel. Uh, but that's because uh, he did a lot more damage to Botas car than he did to his own. All he needed was a new front wing. See, I think there's less outrage, Terry, because it was Bottas. And everyone's thinking, well, how well was he really going to do? If that, if that had been Lewis, his, his championship rival, and he'd smacked into him. Okay, Trumpets, you want to get in. And he'd smacked into his I, championship rival. That would have been huge. A la Baku last year. And, and, and what penalty did he get in Baku? Nearly nothing. The minimum penalty, again. A slap on the wrist. See, Callum, that wasn't on the first lap. Oh, he, he's... Baku. Yeah. Well, with Baku, to be fair, there was pretty much no other precedent. I mean, I'm not going to argue with people saying that he should have been disqualified in that race, but if you lose sort of half, half of your points, I think it's fair enough because the only precedent is that Maldonado sideswiped, I think it was Sergio Perez in, in Monaco a few years ago. So that's the only comparable incident where he was given, I think, a 10-place grid penalty. So he's been knocked down half halfway down the grid and Vettel got pretty much the same penalty. Fair enough. Look, I don't want to. I don't want to like yell at a guest from another podcast. But are you blind? Uh, what there's, there was a president in this race. Uh, there was the next on our list of whose fault is this? Grosjean on Ocon on the straight just sideswiped Ocon. Matt, it was it was unbelievable. There seemed to be no reason whatsoever for him to do that, other than just Grosjeanness. It's, it's been a glorious weekend for Grosjean, hasn't it? Uh, yeah, you know, I mean, I would point out that they are both French, so there's that part of it. But realistically, um, I think Grosjean lost lost track of where he was in in space. I think his attention was elsewhere, and he was reacting something possibly to his right. I, I will say, not that I wish to defend Grosjean here entirely, because it was pretty much his fault from from what I saw. I did not get a chance to see Grosjean's on board, so I don't know if he was reacting to something on the other side of him. So he he may have had less of a choice in that move than than I personally know. So there you go. That that that's that's me waffling a bit because no, that's fine. all of the evidence. I'm just interested to see if Terry is gonna also blame Ocon for driving in a straight line at the left hand side of the track. I mean, the three French drivers basically did their patriotic duty and went on strike as soon as the race started, didn't they? Um, I think that there should be a mode in the new Formula One game for being inside Grosjean's head. Because can you just imagine the pressure of setting foot in a car like with the, <laughs> the mess he makes of it every time? No one. I mean, the guy just just to just to get past the first corner must be so hard for him these days. Yeah, and and it's brutal because he still hasn't scored a point, right? Like he started ten. Oh man, yeah. And and he was even 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 with the crash with Ocon, even with Vettel taking him off, he looked like he might actually score a point. And then it just all kind of went downhill for him. Like he, I, I don't even know. Like I'm supposed to know what happened. Like I can't even. There was so much other stuff going on. 
all I know is at a certain point, he started driving backwards, and that was just the end of his race. Christopher Fonseca in our chat room. Driving at your home Grand Prix gives you an extra tenth, and none of the French drivers were prepared for this speed. Uh, but I think Terry makes a great point about getting inside Grosjean's head. When you've had this much pressure now, I mean, on, on one side, it kind of feels like, it's become the norm now and he's not been sacked and he's still in F1. So he, in some respects, he might feel bulletproof. But on the other side, Terry, he must just be second guessing himself in every decision because it's been crash after crash after incident after incident. Magnussen's bossing it pretty much. Like he, he must just be just a wreck. Like how, I don't know how he's well, coping yeah. with it. He's in a car that is sh- very good. That has is a good car. It should be up there in the points like it is. And, only a couple of years ago, there was talk of him going to Ferrari. So you just imagine just the climb down he's got in his head of just like going, well, I'm lucky to get, he'll be lucky to have a drive next year. So, you know, yeah, I mean, bless him. He's thinking about other things, cookbooks and stuff. You know, he's got, he's got to have revenue streams when the Formula One inevitably dries up. Is there any chance you could shut your window? Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> Do you, you live on like the M25? It's a it's a slightly busy right. So I, I I shut it. I opened it to try and get the c- computer cool down, but I just made more noise. Yeah, it's it's okay. It's atmospheric. In in Matt's background, we always get the sirens, don't we? So so we know you're authentically in Brooklyn. It, it sounds like a terrible place. Oh yeah, Brooklyn, horrible. Please don't come here um, <laughs> because because I want all the excellent beer and food to myself. <laughs> Uh, but we are overlooking probably the real reason for Grosjean's performance difficulties. Go for it. Too many kids. Doesn't he have like 19 now? Yeah. Do you know what? I don't think that's a bad shout. Doing something like Formula One, which is very dangerous and you've got to put yourself in dangerous situations, is it's got to do something to your mindset to think, actually, I, I'm responsible for a lot more than myself here. Um, and the simple fact is, yes, he might be rich. And he might have nannies and everything like that. But it is still mentally and physically exhausting having children, Matt. Yeah, it is. I mean, frankly, I've got one and that's just about kill me having to relearn, having to relearn all my eighth grade math. <laughs> yeah, but think think how embarrassing it would be to have Grosjean as your dad. Think about the poor kids. Oh, that is way harsh. No, no, I can completely <laughs> sympathise with that because you know I've I've got I've got one kid I like two total, and it is it is draining and it does affect your day to day life. All right, then a big crash we had with Ocon and Gasly. Now, from my point of view, Gasly's not done a great deal wrong here. He got the blame instantly uh, from everyone on social media, I think, pretty much. But I'm looking at it. He had a nice big gap in front of him and a big juicy apex to go and take, and Ocon. He basically cut across two cars lengths and went and grabbed that apex. Now, I think that there was still an opportunity when Gasly had got alongside and was breaking hard. I think there was still an opportunity for Ocon to avoid that accident, Matt. Uh, Well, yeah, but it wasn't on him to avoid. He started coming over for the apex before Gasly moved up. So the best thing you could say, it was just poor timing. But but Ocon was on the move before Gasly was headed for the gap, and he just couldn't react fast enough when he saw him coming. It just you know one of those things that happens. But uh, sadly, you know, um, from from the point of view of, of from the point of view of having to blame someone, clearly Gasly moved into the apex after Ocon had moved to claim it. I think if we're going to blame anyone in this whole scenario, it's got to be Gasly because Ooh. while <laughs> because um, while uh, while Ocon was taking his his line, uh, it was 
Gasly who dove straight in and got on the brakes a bit too late. Um, so I think it's similar-ish to the Vettel incident. He's braked a little bit too late. He's probably misjudged it slightly, albeit with not a lot of time to react. Um, but the fact that he lost his car, I think, is a lot down to him rather than down to Ocon. But Terry, is, isn't there kind of mm. a convention on the first lap that it's not one by one? It's not kind of single file. You are kind of existing in this almost motorway traffic thing where there's an expectation that you'll stay in your lane almost. And Ocon's, you know, careered across and, and cut him up. Yeah, Ocon, Ocon totally wrong there. I think uh, he should have just backed off a bit. You know, what's the point of being, being a racing driver if you can't just back off and admit when you're wrong? Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit UH1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Nice. There we go. That's that's half and half. Let's call that a win for Team Gasly, Matt. Uh, Sure. Why not? I like Gasly and I'm all for Honda. So there you go. Tell you what, Matt, then, why don't you tell us where the race was won and lost from this point? Because, yes, tons of excitement. And, and one of the great things for the F1 organizers must have been rubbing their hands that they then had at least a guaranteed uh, bit of overtaking from two of the, the top cars down the back of the field. So that would show off overtaking. What problem with overtaking? Look, we've got loads of overtakes here. Uh, but actually, also, the midfield scrap was was brilliant. Um, there, there was There was a ton going on. Yeah, there was. And and really, the crucial thing was uh, when the safety car came out, you had uh, signs. You had Verstappen up into second. You had signs in third. Ricciardo stuck behind him. And then Leclerc had also gotten around Raikkonen. So you had him. I, I want to say he was in fifth at that point. And so the order coming out of the safety car just promoted a lot of really good racing as everybody tried to get back up to where their car's potential was. And the the interesting thing to me was Red Bull coming in on lap 26 with Verstappen. I I didn't expect them to come in that early, but on reflection, uh, they had run Verstappen with less downforce than they did Ricciardo, like a significant amount. 
And it may have been that his tires were just starting to go. He wasn't able to deliver the lap times. But also what you had was Vettel on a tear getting into his safety car window. So so they were kind of they were kind of caught. Verstappen couldn't go fast enough to stay out of uh, to stay in front of Vettel unless he came in. And in fact, we saw with Ricciardo, he stayed out an extra two laps and then he wound up coming out behind Vettel at that point. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? So Verstappen wasn't, I don't think, at any point chasing down Hamilton um, at, at that point strategically. Yes, towards the end, there there was a period where Hamilton let that lead come back down. But Verstappen's main concern was holding on to second place. Yeah, very much so. And Red Bull would have very much liked for Ricciardo to have taken third. And he was there for quite a long time. But we heard from Horner after the race that they had taken damage. He'd taken some damage to his front wing early on. And it was causing to to develop massive understeer when he tried to get round um, lapped traffic in particular. So this would have come into play late in the race because Raikkonen was the latest of the people who went for the pits. And he he was on a softer compound. So he ha- he did have pace, but he had time to make up. And he caught Ricciardo, <clears throat> I don't know, going into lap in the 40s, lap, lap 45 about. Yeah. And it, and it was, and it, he would just been eating away. And it was like that great Formula One thing where you can see, Oh, he's taking a half a second a lap out. He's going to catch him with three or four laps to go. And but Ricciardo is going to defend, and it's going to be exciting. And then, and then Lance uh, Stroll <laughs> just—I don't know what would you call his driving at that point? Bollard. I, mean, I would describe it, his driving as bollard. It, it reminded me of that thing where well, I don't know, I don't know. I live in a city, so I walk lots of places. And you get on the sidewalk, and you're in a hurry, and the people in front of you have got their phones out, and they're trying to read. And all you really want to do is go around them, but it's crowded. And so you go one way and they go one way and you go the other way and they go the other way. And then you go the third way and somehow they manage to get there as well. That's like what Stroll did. I, I don't know. He just like completely, he, he took more than a second out of, out of Ricciardo. And at that point he was just uh, defenseless a- against the Ferrari. So it spoiled it a little bit, but I think the pass was going to happen regardless. Yeah, but Terry, there was actually things to watch and look out for in the race. And we've kind of missed that for a month. I know that we've got Leclerc being up there. We've got Alonso. Oh, have we got Alonso? <laughs> Sorry. Uh, we've got Alonso being his radio self. We've got overtaking. I mean, this is a dirty word, but was there too much overtaking? I just, you know, I, I don't like no overtaking, but then when you just get too much, it's confusing. Okay, so a good example is we saw Ricardo being hounded down and chased down by Kimi Raikkonen, but the actual moment of the overtake itself was pretty dull. Yeah, well, that wasn't that because Ricciardo had some kind of damage on his wing or something, so he was stymied, and then that DRS zone was just too powerful. All you had to do was be within the same postcode and you get by. Uh, from an enjoyment point of view, Callum, though, do you prefer these kind of races? Is there, was there too much overtaking here? Or are you one of these guys who's like, oh, Monaco was just so fascinating, watching one car go by and then the other one in exactly the same line on, uh, for, for, for two hours? I think neither are really perfect, to be quite honest. I didn't, I didn't think Monaco was as boring as some people seem to think, because I mean, you have the idea that Ricardo could have gone off at any minute, and then the whole race changes from that moment onwards. But then you have the polar opposite in Paul Ricard, and it just seems like it's a fine line between having a load of overtaking that's just influenced by DRS or by other performance differentials, so completely different cars, for example. Um, and both are just kind of a little bit average. I mean, I know you get good races and you get bad races, but having two 
having both of them at completely different ends of the spectrum is kind of confusing in a way. It was it was jarring, isn't it? To go from two street circuits, effectively, particularly Monaco, to then a test track, it, it, it was a, a very sharp change in the F1 calendar. We'll discuss a little bit what we thought about that track a bit later on. Uh, but let's speculate wildly for a second, Callum. Let's say that crash didn't happen. Let's say Vettel backed off sensibly um, and settled into third place. Who who would you have had winning that race today? I think it's hard to say. I mean, you, when you... Speculate when you wildly, two, please, Callum. Um, I can't really see it being anyone other than a Mercedes, to be honest. Because if you take it from one lap pace at least, then Mercedes were a tenth and a half, two tenths ahead, um, as they were after the first running Q3. But, I mean, if Ferrari feel that they could have won the race, then perhaps you want to listen to them slightly. But I think a general trend from across this season is that Ferrari are quite good on the Saturdays, whereas... I don't know whether it's just the conditions playing out that way, but Mercedes have been stronger in certain races on the Sundays. So you take China, for example, where I think conditions just aligned and Bottas was actually quite competitive. Terry, speculate wildly. Who would have won? Vettel. I think if Vettel had got past Bottas and hadn't gone into him, then there would have been some kind of overcut, undercut, wobbling free stuff. And then... He'd have he'd have got out in the lead after the first pit stops, and then Hamilton would have had a little wine, and then something would have gone wrong. I think Vettel would have won it. But, but this, this is the thing, though. I mean, yeah, and he should have won that race, or he should have at least been picking up eighteen points at the very least. He, he's probably got the measure of Bottas if those two cars are close to each other. But he's choked. Let's not pussyfoot Terry. He he's choked today. Yeah, he's. He does this all the time. It's just like he should be a seven-time world champion, but unlike the ruthlessness of Schumacher, whenever it comes to doing something a little bit cheeky, uh, Vettel can't do it. He just, uh, you know, and if he just keeps his temper in, he'd have won last year, and the same thing today. If he'd have just calmed it down a bit, gone to the second corner, they'd be all right. But no, he's got to oversteer and go into Bottas, whatever. It's it's interesting, isn't it, Matt? We, we've been denied the, the true... Hamilton Vettel battle it always seems like there's something that separates them like count you can count on one hand the amount of times they've been wheel to wheel in this championship fight over the last two years yeah and I think that's down to uh the cars generally having circuits that they do better at yeah so I mean and now I I was thinking a lot about and this is interesting I'm going to be very interested to see uh next week's race because where are we off to next week uh Austria Austria. Okay. So we had uh, another circuit where they had Pirelli had given them the shaved tires to help them deal with the heat, to help them maintain the temperature properly in the tires. And it it has been a characteristic that Mercedes has done exceptionally well at, at the circuits where they've had these tires. And the corollary to that has been that they haven't done as well at circuits where they haven't had these tires. And I I do wonder if they're not starting to see a little resurgence of their tire issues that plagued them in um, in 2013 and and especially in 2013. But every now and then, we would see it at Malaysia, at Singapore, at some of the races, it would pop up. They would just have a hard time with their tires. And I, I really would, I'm really waiting to see them with this brand new engine, see how they're able to manage the tires when they're back to the regular tyres. Rob Graham's asking, thin tyres in Aus- Austria? No, I don't think so. I think it's these, these thinner tyres will be in 
Silverstone, so they'll be in the British Grand Prix. I don't believe they'll be in Austria. So we'll be interesting to see what happens in Austria. Mercedes have been great at that track since it came back on the calendar because it's, you know, it's a power circuit with two or three kinks, a, a very limited kind of infield section before going back onto the, before going back onto the straights. So, uh, okay then. I, I do think that Ferrari are in danger now of of losing these next two races and being out of the championship and then being outdeveloped with Red Bull bridging that gap to Ferrari. Because that's what we saw last year, Matt, isn't it? We saw Ferrari start off very strong and then they started to get clawed in and clawed in. And eventually, you could argue that Red Bull had a better package than them come the end of the season. Well, I think if we're going to argue who's got the best package and not make uh, not make filthy jokes about it. Aww. Terry was already there. I, I could see. Already. I could see. I was trying to forestall the possibility, much much like Stroll trying to get in front of of, of Ricciardo there and, and help Raikkonen it out. Uh, no, I, I think this year fundamentally is different. Um, I think Mercedes has yet to demonstrate it, it. It can carry this pace over on the regular tires, which will dominate the entire rest of the season. If they can do that, then they have something in hand. But you could also argue conversely that that extra race that they ran on the old power unit, you could see how much that hurt them. And they didn't have their normal performance in Canada. But if the car doesn't go as fast, it doesn't have the aero performance you'd expect either. The faster the car goes, the better it performs. So some of the issues we saw in Canada perversely might have also been down to them having an old power unit that that was significantly down on horsepower compared to their rivals. Austria, Silverstone, the next couple of races will really tell the story because Ferrari, we didn't get to see them in FP3, but their race pace uh, that we did get to see on Friday did look faster than everybody but Mercedes. And we always know they tend to dial it in over Friday night. All right, let's chat to our guests. Absolutely delighted that we've been joined by two fellow F1 podcasters. I always think that the podcast community, especially in Formula One, especially for like subjects, should be a bit closer. But we develop, you know, this kind of rivalry. So I invited every F1 podcast that I've not massively fallen out with over Twitter. And and that kind of just left these two. Let's start with Terry Saunders for F1 Sake podcast. Um, it's Is it fair to say... And I'm not saying you guys aren't serious guys. There really is no overlap between F1 Stake podcast and Missed Apex podcast. I can happily sit and listen to us and our attempts at trying to break down the race, etc. And then listen to what you guys do, which is just this set piece, entertainment, comedy, well-produced with genuinely funny people. I'm insanely jealous of it. Well, jealous is a good place to start, but... Um, <laughs> I don't know. We we are just people who love Formula One and yet also hate Formula One, and it's we're just trying to save Formula One from itself. So we get to a pub after every race and we discuss exactly what Formula One have done wrong. And nearly every <laughs> week, there's something to discuss. Yeah. Oh gosh, they don't they don't uh, they don't make themselves hard targets, do they? No, exactly. We I mean, to be honest, we're less concerned with who wins the race and who overtook best and who had the best tyres on. That kind of thing, that's for you guys. We're just for like, who said what? Who's done this? And I can't believe that Alonso is at the back again. It's his own fault. 
Go and check out for F1 sake. Uh, Callum Springle from NRF1 podcast. That is the postcode, I believe, of where you record it and the pub you record in. It's got a good history, that pub, hasn't it? I mean, you guys literally just sit. I call you guys the Drunk Norfolk podcast. Yeah, we do uh, record in uh, the Rush Cutters pub where actually it is rumoured, at least, that once upon a time it was the old drinking hole of um, Colin Chapman and Graham Hill. So I think, uh, yeah, that's bit of a name drop and a half <laughs> no it's good and I, I, what both you guys have an advantage over me and matt is you are actually socializing so when you sit and have a beer and do your podcasting it's not weird so when i pour myself a drink here even though i'm talking to several people and there's a, a live stream with a few hundred people that tune in live i am still at the end of the day drinking in a shed on my own Callum. at least you've got the excuse of being able to have physical people to have a pint with yeah, but it does it does get a little bit um, how, crowded, I guess. I was going to guess. Especially I was going to say, how much does Michael have to edit that for just rowdy pub banter? Sometimes quite a lot, especially when there's sort of jokes about um, steady things that you, things that you probably wouldn't want to include in the podcast. And of course, um, Terry, you cheat, don't you? Because you've got an actual dedicated producer that does everything from start to finish, except um, except speak. Yeah, yeah, we we have the the misguided professionalism in our one we have equipment and stuff i just come with money for beer that's all i need i mean the only difference with this podcast and our one is that i go and pee a lot more in our podcast because there's more beer flowing and we have breaks that's the only thing missing no when did you last pee during a podcast uh well they can only see me from the belly button up so you know i can pretty much do whatever i want as long as i switch to the other the other scene here look guys look through the magic of the live stream you now can't see what i'm doing you guys are joining us at butmore park on the 4th of august for some go-karting so uh i i've had a recent blow to our go-karting team because it's it's me uh, and bradley philpott so there's a great start bradley philpott is uh, a very fast racing driver uh, so i thought that's pretty cheeky we'll probably win uh, matt is on our team Matt has never been in a go-kart before, which was a revelation to me. How do you get to whatever <laughs> age he is, 78, and, and have never been in a go-kart? That's ridiculous. Uh, and then we had our quiz master, Chris Catman-Turner, who's actually quite fast. Uh, but then morally, I've got to have sparkles. I've got to have rainbow sparkles in my team. And he is just a terrible, terrible really? person at, at turning a wheel, Matt. Really? Did you see him in Bradley's video? He has no neck muscles. No, he's he's just he's basically like sad sack, just flopping around in a can. Yes, exactly. I don't know how he'll ever even manage a lap. I'm devastated. So Terry, what's your team looking like? Well, I don't want to be too cocky for good reason, but um, we let's just say the last time I got a go kart was last Sunday at Le Mans. Whilst the 24 hour race was going on, I was at the Alain Prost karting track. Wait, 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 and karting. you joined the Le Mans 24 just on a whim for, in your car and won, and won. Yeah. Took, took a wrong turning and ended up on the track. You know, it should have made the news, but it didn't. But no, so uh, there was a safety car going on. So I was potentially going faster than Alonso nice. during my go-karting. Now, it went very well. Um, I didn't get stopped three times to be told how to do it properly. It sounds a bit from that, like you did get stopped three times to be told how nope. to do it properly. No, nope, that's I, I, I'd, I'd stand up in court and deny that. Callum, how's um, your team looking? And, and 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 look, I'm not lying here when I say I am desperate to beat you guys. I want to pummel you into the ground, make carting mush of you. Uh, to be honest, my team's looking like a bit of a skeletal squad. <laughs> and there's me. We'll gloss over the fact that I've previously won the RF on Grand Prix. 
And we've also got Kyle, who will also gloss over that is two times Beckles karting champion. God damn it. John Bits, you're meant to research stuff like this. Right, let's get on with the, the talking bit of the show. Gits. Terry, talk to me about McLaren, because even with the best chassis on the grid, they're unable to make any real progress. What's going on? Oh, the best chassis thing. Like, Just learn to shut up, McLaren. That's what they should have done last year. They should have just quietly gone, we're not very good. I mean, to be fair, the first stage of, of dealing with a problem is admitting you've got a problem. And this week they have said uh, that maybe, just maybe, we haven't got the best chassis on the grid. So, you know, coming from McLaren, that is big talk from them. Um, I don't, I don't know what's going on. It's just, it's just embarrassing, isn't it? I mean, the the, the engine they've got is okay. We know that it could have been twice on the podium today. Um, the chassis they have is a disaster. They they have too much aero, not and the aero doesn't work properly. And they've got Alonso coming out of Le Mans, going, "I'm I'm Mr. Big the Daddy," and just nothing, nothing. I, I, I want to cry. And you're a McLaren fan, then I take it from the passion in your voice. I used to love McLaren. I'm going off them slightly. Alonso's got to be gone though this year. From all the posturing they've been doing and the talking to Daniel Ricciardo, you're getting the sense that Alonso he's he's had enough. Yeah, he's out of there. I don't think he's going to complete the season. Wow. Okay, then. Yeah. All right. You lay it out for us. Speculate wildly. Uh, Alonso leaves when? Who do they bring in? What happens? Is it is it friendly? Do they stay on good enough terms to have McLaren, IndyCar, or or um, go-kart, or whatever it is they're going into? Oh, we've lost you, Terry. Oh. Terry. Oh, I'm back. Can you hear me? Yes, but we can't see you. No. It's all right. We'll hang around. <laughs> Hello? <laughs> Right. Well, I tell you what. How about I? How about I leap with both feet into the gap while we wait for him to get back? And we learned the source of their problem. It wasn't a wind tunnel problem, but it was a problem in the wind tunnel that they couldn't see. So this this seems to be a very important distinction to Zach Brown. But the fact of the matter is, they think they've understood what their problem was, but the problem they were having was something that they weren't going to be able to catch in a wind tunnel. But that said, I have to agree with them. Had they simply not gone around and said, we will be as good as Red Bull, people would be giving them a lot more room to figure it out. And yeah. you have yeah. to think that even if they had, even even if they had a really good chassis with a Honda, the Honda was built to fit inside their aerodynamic idea, which was part of what caused the trouble for Honda but also part of what made the chassis work. Renault is simply not going to do that. So they will have had to have fundamentally changed some stuff in their design when they took this new engine on. And it may be, and it obviously is not working as well as they expected. And that's that's going to be part of their problem too. Uh, you've made a really great point. I've not thought about this. Zach Brown, he came in and he went, we're going to rule the world now. He had a golden opportunity to look like this kind of hero, this kind of messiah that has come in and dragging them across the desert for 40 years. He could have said, it's going to be a long, hard struggle, but I am the guy to bring them from where we are. Yeah, it's positivity all the way forward now. But yeah, but he's he's started on way too high a level, hasn't he? And saying, basically, if it wasn't for Honda, we'd be winning races now. Uh, ah, now we've got rid of Honda. We're going to challenge Red Bull. Yeah, it's bad news. Um, okay, good. Uh, Callum, I'm going to pass this one over to you. I'm so sorry. It's it's another bummer, but 
Williams were just doing their best impression of bollards today. They were moving bollards on the track. Sorokin got a penalty from the stewards for going unnecessarily slowly, which I thought was bang out of order. They are trying their absolute best. To be fair, they're just a bit of a waste of space at the minute. Like, let's, let's be honest, the car's not working at all. The drivers are basically GP2 drivers, to use the Alonso term. Yeah. Um, and they've got problems that they can't seem to solve. So, really, getting a penalty for going too slowly is a little bit... It's, it's well, on point, isn't it? It's, I like, mean... it's like a meme. It's almost <laughs> like it's a meme. Terry, how bad are the drivers? Just how bad are the drivers? We give Ericsson a hard time, but it's it's like the political situations in in Britain and uh and, and in America. You know, like you look back fondly at certain certain characters and you go, Do you remember when the biggest problem was that Nick Clegg changed his mind once? You know, like, oh, how we dream for problems like that again. But like Marcus Ericsson, we go, Oh, actually, Mark, he's not that bad. When you look at Williams, he at least Ericsson is an F1 driver. These these kids at Williams, they're not really showing themselves to be such. The thing is, I think Sirotkin's kind of all right. I mean, I think that car is unbelievably awful. But saying that, Stroll is terrible. I mean, I know he got that podium last year by just not retiring from the race. But there's definitely something to be said <laughs> by, for... by just not retiring. That's right. That's exactly what he did. He just went around and went too slowly to crash, got a podium, and everyone went, ah, see, he's fine. He's not fine. He, he is by, exactly. by a mile the worst F1 driver we've had this decade. If you, if you listen to him in practice, he's always there going, give me more information. I don't know what I'm doing. Um, I'm a bit scared. Could someone ask my dad what's next? Um, <laughs> it's not my fault. <laughs> Trumpets going, you want to get, you want to defend these guys, don't you? Uh, no, I don't actually. I, I felt kind of bad for strolls, sort of. Um, but Evangelos Eteroclitus has, has jumped in to say, okay, I'll say it. Alonso finishes races three or four places higher than the cars he develops deserve. And I just felt like that had to be read on the air because it's hysterically funny. See, there you go then, Terry. As a McLaren fan, do you blame Alonso for any of this? Because to be fair, he went into that Ferrari team that was looking quite handy. And they seem to go backwards. And he's gone to McLaren. They've gone shockingly backwards. I think you can actually trace the downfall of McLaren back to signing Alonso in 2007. Everything has gone downhill from then. Apart from that championship they won. Everything. Spygate, octopus exhaust, button, all of it. The octopus exhaust. Was that the one that had like six Kevlar plates at the back? Is that the one you're talking about? It was the one that came out of the sides. It was like the exhaust came out of like the sides in five places. And then they went, oh, this doesn't work. <laughs> Let's put things in upside down. Uh, okay. Well, uh, Matt, well, you and me had an argument, which I'd be quite willing to yeah. bring out we onto the air. No. Yeah, of course. We're a cohesive team. We are an effective team. No, uh, this is something you're wrong about. You put Leclerc in that Williams. And I put to you that not only do they go faster, that that Williams was in Q2, that they were a second off of Q2, Leclerc or Lewis Hamilton in that Williams, and that Williams is in Q2. Williams' biggest failing, and the car is terrible, the biggest failing is that they have got two drivers there who have not got there on merit. Let's be clear. These guys would not have got into F1 in a meritocracy amongst the top 100 single-seater drivers in Europe. Uh, Sorotkin was a decent driver and Stroll wasn't that far off him. The car's potential is limited. And if we're going to talk about interesting things, we're talking about Eric Boulier 
being on the chopping block. But you know who else is on the chopping block? Patty Lowe is. I'm hearing the whispers, the rumors that the, the, the long knives are coming out for him. The situation with that car at Williams is dreadful. And you know what? If Zach Brown was smart enough to hire me, do you know who I'd hire at McLaren? Tell me. Robert Kubisa. A, he can develop a car. B, the PR bonanza would be totally worth it. And that's that's my final word on that subject. And I just wanted to bring up Kubica as well, because I think he has dodged a bullet in this year. I mean, imagine if he was driving this year and he was at the back of the grid, they would just be there going, uh, well, he's not that good. It's his arm. He can't do it. And, you know, so it's fine. Luckily, he's not embarrassing himself. Yeah, it's a very, very good point. I think, um, yeah, Kibitza fans can be very, very pleased that he hasn't gone there. But let, let's talk about who did well today. Callum, um, I think there's a young man in Red Bull colours, Max Verstappen, who has been hounded. Let's be fair, he has made mistakes, but he's been hounded a lot. It's disguised the underlying fact that he's faster than Daniel Ricciardo. He's faster in qualifying, he's faster on race pace. Yeah, I think that's been clear for the last, what, two years? Pretty much all the way back since 2016, when Max has gotten it together, he's been a good couple of tenths, maybe even more than that, compared to Ricardo. I'm not saying that Ricardo is a bad driver because his stock in trade is being so consistent and so reliable. So it's just sort of like the natural number one and number two, like there is a Mercedes, for example, that one, if he has a good season, he'll go miles off into the distance and score all the points, and then the other guy will just win them the Constructors' Championship. Yeah. Now, speaking of um, of, of stock, is that that's an interesting point you raised there, Terry? Because, uh, sorry, Callum made the point, but I'm going to Terry. Ricciardo's stock has never been higher. If he's smart, if he's a smart bloke, and he he's not got a huge ego, which yes, all these guys have egos, but relatively, I don't think he's deluded. I think he realised that Verstappen hitting the wall a lot and handing him a couple of wins because it was it China where. Uh, Verstappen hit Vettel and, and basically handed Ricardo a win that, that Verstappen had got on pace. If he's a smart guy, he's going to sign a contract now before Verstappen starts winning races. Maybe, but then maybe he can turn McLaren around and go there. Maybe oh no. Ricardo should waste five years at McLaren. Go on, <laughs> why not? It'll be fun. Matt? Lewis has shown you the way. If you are not at a works team, you are not going to be at the sharp end of the grid. Red Bull with Honda is now a works team. Going to McLaren without a works engine is about the worst idea possible. However, McLaren is desperate enough. He can easily use them to ratchet up his salary at Red Bull. And that's exactly what we're going to see. Yeah, I think it's a smart play. I've, you know, I think we've all done that with job offers and, you know, gone, yeah, actually, I am talking to that other company and, oh, they seem pretty keen. Uh, is, is that what comedians do with TV shows? Do you, when somebody offers you a show, do you go, oh, well, you know, the pub down the road's offering me three packets of crisps with, uh, with their gig? Yeah, I got, I got four packets of crisps once. Best day of my life. Being a stand up comic, which you used to be, just seems like the yep. the most harrowing and unfair trade in the world because so few people can do it and do it well, yet it's ruthlessly competitive and not that well paid. It's, you know, it, you make it sound like Formula, Formula 2 or uh, everything. Like, until you get to Formula 1, you don't get uh, well paid and it's ruthlessly yes. competitive and then you're in Formula 1 and it's fine. I just never made it to Formula 1. <laughs> All right, let's talk about who did really well. So we've done Verstappen, who has he's done all he needed to do. I think he's, he's he's shut up a few critics in the last couple of races. Magnussen as well, Matt. 
Magnussen was getting such a, such a beating for his time at McLaren. Uh, he was getting a beating last season, but it, it's, it's, it's all coming forward now. And, and I'm a guy who's a Magnussen fan. I, I like his aggressive style of driving and he's starting to bang results in. Where did he end up today? Sixth? Fifth? Sixth. Sixth. Yeah, because, uh, Science had the power unit issue like last lap. Last lap and a half. Ah, that's true. In fact, Correct, had there yeah. not been a virtual safety car, he might have been entirely out of the points. So I guess he has uh, Williams to thank for that, at least. So, so, but, but, so yeah. but put it this way, he's the only driver that is not in a works team or a top, top team that is, com- that is, you know, he's best of the rest. If you include Renault as a works team as well, and it's starting to shape out that way, you know, he's gone best of the rest today in a Haas. Yeah, well, Haas themselves have turned up for the season really, really fast. Um, I think it was a, if we're talking about people who had a good weekend, Science had a very good weekend, even, even having dropped to eighth, because that was entirely down to the engine, had nothing to do with his driving. If the engine had held out for him, he would have finished where Magnussen finished. Yeah, big shame for Science. Uh, Renault, a team, Matt, on the, on the up, they're proving that they've made progress this year. Yep. And this is exactly why Red Bull are headed the other direction to Honda, because that's, that's going to be their focus. Yep. But, Terry, there's no way, is there, with this breakup? And clearly, uh, Renault found out about this at the same time as the rest of us, as in they found out when the announcement came out that Red Bull were going mm-hmm. to Honda. When, when Red Bull go, oh, we've got a slight technical issue, or, you know, can you give us some advice? Can you give us some help with integration? They're not going to get anything from Renault for the rest of the season. No, I mean, it would be nice to think that what happened to science probably should have happened to Verstappen's car at the end. That would have been more of a, that would have been a Renault better story, with... wouldn't it? Yeah. Oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. I didn't mean to press oh, that button. Sorry. It. Oh yeah. Sorry. Oh, can you believe I just did that at the last lap? But, um, yeah, I mean, there must be a development worry because surely they're not going to get the top, top engines come the end of the year for the next engine change. Surely. And Terry, given that you're an entertainer and that Lewis Hamilton has featured on Christina Aguilera's song, allegedly, uh, you are now going to give us a 30-second rap about the French Grand Prix. Am I now? Good. Well, I'm glad this was uh, rehearsed. It's in the notes. Good, though, isn't it? It's good he's done a bit of rapping. I like that. A bit of singing. Good on him. Why not? He gets a hard time, does Lewis. But do you know what? He's doing stuff... What does Vettel do? He goes off with his family and kids and doesn't get seen anywhere outside of a Grand Prix. At least Hamilton's doing stuff. I mean, it's embarrassing stuff that he shouldn't be doing, but it's better than nothing. <laughs> That's such a British attitude. God, it's so embarrassing that he's trying to do things. I'll tell you what, though, <laughs> still, I'm a Lewis Hamilton fan. I'm not ashamed to say that, but still rubbish hair. Consistently yeah, rubbish hair. But, you know, he's, he hasn't got those stupid earrings anymore, has he? Has he? Or has he? I don't even know. Have I just, have I just zoned them out? Have I just kind of cancelled them out whenever I look at them? Tell you what, Matt. Should we go and give some awards in the podium? Uh, we can do that. But you know who we didn't talk about as a team? Real quick. Uh, we talked about people who did well. But Worst India had about the worst weekend possible with their race. And we keep on hearing rumors about people buying the team. And it, it, I just, oof, man. I, I think if you look at this, Raikkonen, Grosjean, and Leclerc could be turning points in their career this this particular weekend, and for Force India too, because they needed a result and they absolutely didn't get it. So sorry for sticking that in there and ruining the flow of your show. Ah, it's all right. You do that every week. It's a feature, not a bug. I know. I know. Are you putting but your hand let's... up, or are you uh, Terry? Are you wiping your brow? 
I was wiping my brow because I'm in a small little box room and my computer is very hot. It's like a little sauna in here. It's I'll be good. stripping off soon. Good. We'll lose five pounds in water weight and all look toit. Nice. Okay, let's go to the podium. All in all, my conclusion is that for F1 and for F1 fans, that was a nice shot in the arm. At least we had some overtaking. At least we had some incident. At least we had some drama. At least we had some fun because Monaco was dire. Canada was unfortunate. But but I will maintain that all Canadian Grand Prix that don't have a safety car mid-race are like that. I, I just think that's something we need to wake up to with Montreal. It's a great track and a great event because we get these safety cars, because they get bunched back up together in the middle of the race and then the track lends itself to be exciting from then on it's the same with Baku let's remember 2016 no safety cars they all followed each other around however this week we've had a new track and I believe that we've had a track where um, because of the openness of it because of the contrast with no walls around there there was there was people willing to take risks there was people willing to dive and overtake knowing that a mistake wasn't going to end their race so you know matt i think that's a that is a big positive because people were really negative about this test track right up until green lights oh yeah well people were negative about about the whole thing really uh the track isn't that bad um i actually really like sector three with the double apex turn coming out of it and uh the first day of practice, it was 50C on the track, which is definitely going to cause issues uh, for tire management, which generally makes things more, not less interesting, uh, unless you're a fan of the team that's struggling, of course. Uh, and it was good to see that that they were able to have an entertaining race on that track. Uh, that said, the drivers spent a lot of time in the driver's meeting talking about how to make it better. So we might see, and I, I would be in favor of this, the chicane taken out. There was an interview, I think it was on BBC, and it was fascinating to hear someone that was part of the design team talking about that chicane, and they quoted him as saying, there was no benefit to having that long straight because the cars had already reached top speed, therefore you put the chicane in, and then they can go off again, and there's another overtaking opportunity, but Baku... And, in fact, Barcelona are great examples of how when you have that long straight, the top speed creates a slipstream as well, and you've got constant fighting into turn one in both those tracks. Well, it would be into turn, what was, I think, turn 11. Yeah. No, so, yeah, so I was talking about turn one, Baku, yeah. Yeah, uh, but what you get are you get the slipstream, so you need less DRS, but importantly, what you lose are tire temperatures and brake temperatures which means that the cars themselves are more unpredictable the braking zones are more unpredictable and that gives you that gives you that um excitement because you really don't know yeah when you step on brakes exactly what you're going to get and who's really going to be able to leave it latest and still manage daniel ricciardo for the win but it is worrying that the people who are designing the tracks and making those decisions are not picking up on on this you know, that we're picking up on in sheds, but maybe maybe we're the ones that are wrong. But there was an interview with uh, Herman Tilke. Have I got that right, name right? Herman Tilke, who's designed a lot of the modern tracks. And uh, they asked him, you know, oh, it's, it's, it's a bit bad with all the runoffs, isn't it? And he went, yeah, it's because it's a test track. You know, and like, so people were pointing out all the problems with the track. And he's going, yeah, 
Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And he was just kind of agreeing with it. He was like, yeah, because it wasn't designed for Grand Prix. It was designed for testing. All right. So um, to our guests, what we do at the end of the show is we give out some awards, a good one, a bad one, and a pony award. So, Callum, who gets your award for thing of the weekend? Hmm. I think it's got to be a split between Charlotte Claire for one of the sort of standout performances of the season and whoever's designed the trophies. <laughs> oh God, no, no, that, I, I, I'm torn, right? Uh, Terry, I bet you had a similar instinct. I saw the trophies, so I went, no, no. Oh, hang on. Oh, hang on. Not, wait a minute. Not bad. It looked. It looked a bit like the kind of novelty whiskey bottle you see in Duty Free, didn't it? It was just like, I'm not sure what's going on here, but um, that's not... I mean, it'll stand out amongst other trophies, and Lewis Hamilton's got loads, so you've got to paint yourself red. Who are you giving it to then, Callum? Who's your thing of the weekend? Uh, I think it's got to be the trophy designer. I, I really, I really have to. I've thought about this a lot, and I have no other choice but to give my thing of the weekend to Lance Stroll's wheelie in qualifying because oh my goodness did you see that thing yeah (laughs) it's like it's like the guys on the motorbikes on on a highway right outside my house but isn't that a great example of how you can have a new style track I know it's an old circuit but a new style track and you can have innovative things on the track limits to dissuade you from from going there dissuade you from leaving the track that was a fair punishment and a fair bit of air yeah, no, it was it was most impressive looking uh, the the replay shots of it, and I thoroughly enjoyed that. Very good, uh, Terry Saunders from For F One Sake Podcast. Who got your thing of the weekend? Is it is it your own Long. beard? Because that thing is spectacular. Thank you. The beard is spectacular, but it's another body part. It's Lance Stroll's dirty bottom. Okay. When he got this is when he got out of the car. Turn. Did you did you see when he got out of the car? He had like big black marks on his bum. Right, and that's that's your favourite thing of this F one weekend. Absolutely, absolutely. Because I want to know what happened in that car. I can't argue with that. Uh, overall, I'm going to give my thing of the weekend to the track itself because of my low expectation uh, and the fact that looking at the onboards before before we even put. F1 cars there this weekend it looked like a kind of Silverstone but without the big stopping zones I really had no expectations of it I thought they were just going to have to follow each other through dirty air in high speed sweeping corners and in fact it has produced a spectacle for whatever reason you might say it's because of the safety car mixing people up but it goes down as a win it goes in the win column so Paul Ricard gets my uh, thing of the weekend however spoiler it's also going to get my missed apex award so uh callum missed apex award is for a bad thing who missed the apex for you this weekend i suppose in a literal sense it's got to be Vettel at turn one i don't know i said it was not exactly a criminal error but it was one that's arguably going to cost him the world championship because had he had he won the race and hamilton was second that would be what 25 points difference said so, yeah so to so- win it to so to lose the world championship by less than a race win, effectively, definitely not unheard of. But you're wrong because Sebastian Vettel was voted driver of the day this weekend on that F1 poll. Yes, that's right. The guy who chinned uh, a competitor's car into turn one, throwing away the title lead in the process, and then for good measure going on to hit Roman Grosjean. Him. He got driver of the day. There's democracy for you, people. Terry, who missed the apex for you this weekend? 
I think it's the circuit organisers, not the circuit itself, but I think that what could have happened, when you've got a circuit that's got so many options, they should have mandated some special one-off. You know, they did the double points in Abu Dhabi the other year. This should have been a one-off. Pick whichever track you like on each on each lap. So, you know, if you want to go right <laughs> with that chicane, go right. If you want to go left, go left. See, when it was when they were all going over the paintwork at the start, that was exciting. They should have it like, like it's a knockout. You get a joker lap and you can cut the corners. Make Brilliant. it a feature, not a bug. Yeah, absolutely. They they missed out on a on a great one off special race of carnage. And also, like though, okay, fair enough. There's lots of different layouts, and we understand the reasons for that. But given that F one's quite important in the life of a track, it it must be the biggest event they're putting on this year. Why could they not properly mark out the track? So on turn one, I was looking at the cameras, and I was surprised when they jinked left. Because from the camera angle, it looked like they were going to continue straight on. How hard would it have been to put up some just some foam like they have at Abu Dhabi? It does feel like they it was deliberate. I mean, Bernie Eccleston still owns that track, doesn't he? So I think he's done it on purpose. He's left it super cut. It, it's it's a it's a finger up to Liberty going. If you you know if you'd have kept me on, I'd have painted the track and you know done some nice signs. But as it stands, everyone's going to get a headache. It's like it's like staring at a magic eye picture. It, it was confusing, wasn't it, Matt? Like, just casually drop in and think, you can't judge how well the car's doing because, like, at the last minute you think, oh, he was going to turn into there and he didn't. And, and in fact, didn't Raikkonen get it wrong as well in, in practice? Yeah, no, there, there was a couple of times where you saw people starting to make the wrong turn coming up to the chicane. It was just like, and, and I do, and you sit low and, and it, it is like, you're like, wow, how do they know which one of these five entrances they go past is the correct one to turn down because it is very hard to see who missed the apex for you matt trumpets i've been struggling with this i mean it was a target rich environment in a lot of ways uh oh it's it's so hard i i have so many i have so many choices uh obvious ones less obvious ones but if i'm looking at who walked out of this weekend looking the worst Stroll, no doubt. Wasn't it weird that they left him out on tyres old enough to be vulnerable to that? Because it was quite late in the race that that happened. It was nearly the end of the race, and he was still on the original set of tyres that he'd qualified on. It's because no. they're so oh, no. sick of him. No, no. See, see, both he and Sorotkin, uh, along with Bottas and Alonso, pitted uh, on lap one for the soft tyres, which should have been able to go the whole race. And he would have been fine until he was behind, I think it was Van Dorn, and he just, you know, locked up. Uh, so incredibly he didn't, he locked didn't need up. to pit again. Flat he, spotted that yeah. left front. And then two laps later, he's going around that high-speed turn, and it just went kaboom on him. So, I mean, that really was, unless, I mean, you know, accepting the fact that the car itself is just utterly rubbish, uh, that really was a very self-inflicted wound on on his part and so i'm gonna have to give him the missed the apex award because he just missed so many of them this weekend excellent and time for my favorite award i think matt you definitely always have one um so let's go for daddy i want a pony and i want it now okay the pony award for petulant or childish behavior who gets it for you trumpets and uh if the other guys have any just wave and let me know yeah, and and this is this is going to be I, I'm going to be a bit boring because I, I I prepared a bit, but I, again I'm going to look at Stroll, Stroll uh, literally driving around in practice, yelling over his race engineers, 
tell me what to do. Tell me what to do. Tell me what to do. And obviously at this point, he has missed whatever PR briefing he was supposed to go to about how to talk to his engineers on the radio. So I'm just going to give him, I'm going to give him a little advice here, which is number one, just if you're listening, Lance, just bear with me. I really do have your best interest. Never ask anyone to tell you what to do. It just makes you sound unprofessional. Instead, use the following words. Where can I find time? Where am I losing time? This is a much better way to go. So let's just start with that and we'll see how you do with that. And if you do good with that, I have some more advice for you. You are looking at this the wrong way. You are looking at Lance Stroll as being an employee of Williams. You're wrong. Lance Stroll is a customer of Williams and he is complaining and making demands because as a consumer, he doesn't feel he's getting what he paid for. Terry, who gets the Pony Award for you, buddy? Martin Whitmarsh. <laughs> coming oh. back onto the scene with his, oh, you know, McLaren, that team that I helped run into the ground. If you need my help, uh, I'm still here because I bought a boat. Yeah, shut up. Go Ma- away. McLaren have actually come out and rubbished what he said. He's clearly been beating the drum and starting loads of rumours, which were very successful uh, getting into the press. Yeah, but he's obviously, you know, he's got a big pile of Freddos to sit on. He, he doesn't need any more money. <laughs> so, so you're referring to the rumour here that McLaren staff were rewarded with Freddo chocolate bars? Yes, the, the most expensive and exquisite. The, the, the fr- McLaren aren't going to go for a Ferrero Rocher. It's going to be a Freddo. They should go for wagon wheels now that they're definitely smaller than when we were kids. They really are, aren't they? Definitely. Terry, thank you very much for joining us. Terry Saunders, former stand-up comedian and co-host of For F1's Sake. Uh, Tell people where they can catch you and and how to best and most easily find your podcast. Come to www.com. No, not .com. www.com. That'll do it. Do you know what I do? Do you know what I do? I always just say two W's, so I always go www.mistapexpodcast. We don't even need W's anymore. It's not 1998. It's ff1s.com for F1's sake. ff1s.com. We're on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and all that. And podcast with for Formula One's sake. Find us, listen to us, laugh at us, hate us, cry. And send them hate mail as well, because apparently they don't get a lot of hate mail. I, I get loads. I get, I in fact. Yeah, we don't get any. Yeah, that's just because you're shocking and nice and just like, oh, you look, we're funny and cheeky. But I got, I got a six email rant about how terrible I was, some of which I, I posted up on my Twitter feed. Uh, but you can uh, you can obviously find us at https uh, forward slash forward slash colon www.mistapexpodcast.com. Callum Springle, where can people find you and your drunken Norwich internet podcast thing? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at cspringlef1, although God knows why you'd want to do that. Because but you write blogs and you... things. <laughs> yeah. That's true. com, by the way. Um, and for the NRF1, you can go to nrf1.uk. See, uh, the guy that runs that, Michael, he's like a legit like sports journalist. He's got like a billion Twitter followers. Like 13,000 or something like that. It's loads. But, it's massive compared to us. Yeah. Perks of being a, an Orange City writer. <laughs> Fair enough. Hey, he should have been the uh, the F1 correspondent for Norfolk um BBC Norfolk's uh, F1 updates. I stole that from him. Okay, guys. Quite jealous. Uh, Matt, we can find you at MattPT55 on the internet. What else are you hocking these days? 
Well, you know, always go and buy my wife's books to distract your various spouses and significant others. Let's be clear. They will be distracted because they're mucky books. Oh, they are. Well, it's all relative, my friend. But yeah, they're good. They're good reads. I've actually read them all. Uh, they're, They're good reads. And we can excitedly say that she's on the verge of signing a new three book contract. So keep your eyes open. We're hard at work at that. And yeah, other than that, it's just, you know, winding it down with the kid and graduation and stuff. Awesome. You can follow me at Spanners Ready on Twitter. I have Instagram now, Spanners Ready, where you can find, you know, a more personal look at me. It's all selfies. I won't lie. It's, it's all selfies. Uh, you can go to Missed Apex Podcast on Twitter as well by following at Missed Apex F1. We're also on Facebook, Missed Apex Podcast. Thanks very much for the other podcast for joining us. Uh, they will be competing with us at Buckmore Park on the 4th of August. There are two spots for that that have opened up. If you would like to come and join us at Buckmore Park on the 4th of August in the afternoon, uh, we'll be racing all afternoon at £79. Email me at SpannersReady or DM me on Twitter. Um, what else about that? Oh, yes, we are also going to be recording a live podcast in the morning around half 10, 11 o'clock. So if you come along early, you can sit in the room and listen to us record a live podcast, which reminds me, Terry Saunders, your podcast for F1's sake is also doing a live podcast recording in London for the uh, British Grand Prix. That's right. Yes. Come to FF1S.com and you can find the details. We're going to watch the race together and then do a live podcast after it and see how that works. Yeah. You tried doing it live you, with your edits. Yeah. Try when yeah. you've got a live audience harassing you like our chat room. I'm going to wee a lot. And uh, I, did, I didn't forget chat room. I didn't forget Abby Kulkarni. Okay. Matt, who has got this week's... See, I'm so prepared. I definitely know where the button is. Matt, who's the winner of this week's? Comment of the week. Who has won the comment of the week from the live chat? Ooh, we, well, we've got a couple of really good possibilities. We have Rob Graham uh, in reference to Stroll's wheelie. I used to do that with my Hot Wheels. Give him a 10. You have Christopher Fonseca, who I don't think can actually win, but said funny things anyway. He's barred. Stroll to MotoGP. He's barred. Stroll to MotoGP confirmed. His speed on two wheels is undeniable. We have LGH Jetma, who I don't even know if this is anything other than just news. Hope and Tong was Lance Stroll's teammate in sports cars, did the 24 hours of Daytona. And when asked about Stroll's qualities, he said that Stroll was a good golf player. Third yeah, I know. That's harsh, right? Third quick with Williams knives are blunt anyway. And then John Player with Zach Brown equals Homer Simpson. Eric Bouillet equals Cartman. But I, I think we might have to go with uh, Michael Howland for it's Paul Ricard's fault for having too much runoff and not enough track. I think that gets it. Comment of the week. It's a triple header, so make sure you join us on the live stream for Missed Apex Podcast uh, for next week on Sunday when we review the Austrian Grand Prix. Until then, remember that wounds heal, chick stick scars, and glory last forever. No, you forgot your outro and how it goes fully. I think I got most of it in. <laughs> I think I got most of it in. Yeah, it's so so much pressure to be entertaining with a comedian, a real life like paid to be funny guy. That that's a nightmare. Uh, yeah, it's fine.
enjoy yourself. Do, do you ever have? Did you ever have gigs though that, like, you know, where people are like just looking at you so expectantly? That that must be the work. Because I've done that. You know, sat in Manhattan, go to see a stand-up comedian, and you're going, "Go on then, go on then, make me laugh." Kids. Oh yeah. Oh god, I had so many bad gigs. I had good gigs and bad. The worst was um, I was at the comedy store and I did my first line, and someone just went next. <laughs> oh no! Oh, that hurt. Oh. <laughs> Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.